Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of Slash Film Daily. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm the senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and joining me today is Slash Film Managing Editor, Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. So if this is your first time listening to the podcast, you should probably know that our normal episodes consist of the Slash Film staff members discussing the biggest entertainment news of the day, but today we're actually doing one of our writer's room episodes where we hash out some specifics about a couple of upcoming articles that we're writing. So this episode is going to be devoted entirely to Game of Thrones. Uh, and we should say up top that we don't have any inside knowledge of what's going to happen in the eighth and final season, but we are going to spoil everything that has happened in the show up until this point, basically. Everything. We're going to spoil like pretty much some of the biggest moments uh, ever. And it also should be said that we're going to be trying to hash out three separate features that Ben and I will be collaborating on to go up later this week. Or I guess as you're reading this or listening to this, you may have already read them. Uh, but... We have not discussed this in advance. You're going to be hearing the actual raw conversations as we figure out what belongs in each of these features. So, so Ben, what are we figuring out today? So we're going to talk about the top 10 episodes, I think is maybe what we're going to aim for 10. We might end up fudging that a little bit. So the, the best episodes of the show, uh, but we'll sort of tack on a season ranking, an overall season ranking, and see if we can agree on that. And then the moments, that's the, the one for me, I think that's going to be the most contentious is like narrowing down the best moments in the history of Game of Thrones. And then also we're going to do uh, some like yearbook superlatives, like, you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll get to those uh, at the end, but I, if we even have time, but I think those first two are the ones that people are really going to want to hear about. Um, so should we just dive in, Jacob? Should we just get uh, started? Yeah, real quick. I want to hear one thing. Uh, when I made my list of best moments, I have more than necessary. I couldn't even trim my own list down. I want your help with that. <laughs> but for best, but for best episodes, I feel like I had a, a difficult time stretching it even to ten because I feel like Game of Thrones plays its cards so slowly that the moments stand up more than the episodes. Do you agree on that? That is interesting. I actually have ten exact episodes here, so I was just hoping that uh, <laughs> that your decisions would align with mine perfectly, <laughs> and we could just publish this list as is. But I guess we'll we'll figure that out. I I think um I, I will say it was tough to find the tenth one. Uh, I had nine that I thought were pretty locked in, and then the tenth one I I sort of um. 
yeah, it took me a little bit of time to to go back through and look at, you know, descriptions and stuff. My wife and I, we should say, too, my wife and I just uh, finished a rewatch of the entire series. I think you, not too long ago, rewatched the whole thing as well. So some of this stuff is, like, relatively fresh in our minds. Yeah, I finished re- rewatch maybe a month and a half ago. So I yeah. came in this very fresh, still remembering all the episode titles. So I was able to find them pretty quickly. Nice. We're going to start with our best episodes. I think we should just both list our number one, figure out which ones probably both belong on this list no matter what. What do you say about that? Okay, yeah, interesting. Because I just, I came to this with 10 episodes, but I didn't actually order them. I just figured our our joint uh, enjoyment of the episodes would determine the ranking, the number oh, of the uh, numeric I have a ranking list, for, but... for the episode, oh, wow, not for, okay. my own, for my list. So. All right. Um, hmm, how, about I... I start with my, how about I start with my number one, and okay. you can look through your list and pick which one you think deserves to be on the list no matter what. Okay, sure. Uh, I want to start with my favorite episode of Game of Thrones, which is season four's The Lion and the Rose, which is almost the entire episode is spent at Joffrey Baratheon's wedding to Marjorie Tyrell. And this has so much of a Game of Thrones, uh, so much of what I love about this show, which is putting a bunch of characters in one room uh, with the lingering threat of violence, the lingering threat of humiliation, like intrigue from everybody, watching how characters interact in one corner, these characters interact this way, but in public or in private, they act differently. This person is, is holding their tongue. This person is saying too much. It is just a phenomenal episode about the royal court. And as the show got bigger and more fantastical in its later seasons with the bigger dragon battles and action and battle scenes, Lion in the Rose stands out as being the absolute best episode that is just purely about how... King's Landing is a nest of vipers, and everybody here would backstab anyone else. And I think I don't think they ever did it better. Man, that is a, a really good choice. Uh, it's not on my list, so I'm interested to see how this is going to work out. Because I feel like you and I are mostly on the same page when it comes to Game of Thrones, but I like the this that we're digging, sort of drilling down into the specificity of it. I, I really am curious to see how this whole thing ends up. So just sort of glancing over my list, I think the one that I would be maybe the most sad if it wasn't on this list is oh god it's such a it's a it's a really a toss-up between three episodes for me but uh i'm just gonna say oh man i'm gonna say uh the spoils of war which is season seven episode four uh aria returns to winterfell in this episode and she reunites with sansa and bran um aria and brienne have their little sparring match in the the winterfell court area um, John shows Daenerys the cave paintings of the White Walkers at Dragonstone, and uh, most famously for this episode, Danny jumps on Drogon's back and torches the Lannister caravan as the Dothraki horde attacks, and it's like this really sustained battle scene at the end of the episode that I think set all sorts of TV records for like the most people set on fire in one scene and all <laughs> sorts of crazy stuff like that. But I, I mean, you know, this is at the end of or at the middle of season seven, and so it means I watched it the most recently and pretty, you know, pretty recently. And I was just blown away all over again by this episode. I think, you know, people put a lot of stock into like the Battle of the Bastards episode, for example. But I think this is, you know, on a technical level, um, I understand like the punishing production schedule of something like Battle of the Bastards, where it's like tons of actual extras fighting around in the dirt and the muck and all of that. But from a visual perspective, like the majesty of drogon just torching all of these you know people and carts and all this stuff uh I, I feel like the spoils of war is like one of the highlights of this the entire show for me i agree it's number five of my list all and right. i think we locked this one in and one thing you didn't mention that i want to mention is what makes that final battle so special 
is not just that it's this magnificently staged fight between the Lannisters, the Dothraki, and, a, and friggin' dragons, but that we are genuinely concerned for both sides. We do not want to see Daenerys die, but we also do not want to see Bronn and Jaime die. We just The entire thing is just this balancing act between, oh my god, somebody has to lose here, and I care deeply about both of these sides. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. Um, all right, you want to go next? Yeah, I'll go next. I'll, I'll work up my list. Uh, number two, uh, Blackwater. Uh, I think that there have been other big battle episodes in Game of Thrones, and this was the first one, and it's the smallest one because they didn't have the budget they had for later seasons. But in terms of uh, actually building the anticipation toward the battle, the quiet before the storm, the civilians and royalty waiting outside of the battle to, to see if they're going to be pillaged and raped or if they're going to be okay, the quiet moments make this entire siege so effective and so terrifying and it whereas other like for example um watching the wall from, from season five is a much bigger more grandiose battle but i don't care about most of the people doing the fighting whereas in blackwater i'm worried about Tyrion. i'm worried i'm worried about sansa i'm worried about the hound uh, i'm fascinated to see how joffrey reacts when he's faced with actual challenges i want to know uh will stannis's plan work and i love the details beforehand i like the, the preparation i like everybody waiting for the inevitable waiting for it to happen i love braun getting drank getting drunk and singing with the hound or sorry singing with his troops before confronting the hound and almost getting a fight like so many of the later spectacle episodes forgot about this and season two blackwater uses his limitations so well what do you think ben yeah i totally agree this one is absolutely on my list and that, that moment also where cersei and Tommen are on the throne and she is like so close to poisoning him because she knows that the the walls are closing in and they're so close to losing this battle is um is like a really touching moment i think it sheds a lot of light on cersei as a character who you know everybody sort of looks at her as this monstrous person who's capable of doing monstrous things but she's complex that's one of the best parts about her characterization in the show is that she she really cares about her family and um you know she shows it in really bizarre and twisted ways a lot of time <laughs> but uh but that's one of the few instances where Cersei is alone with one of her children and actually spends um you know actually shows emotion in a way that's not just um you know oftentimes she's just sort of like in the background like lording around and and being like a a um a, a matriarch figure for her kids who are making decisions but this is one of those times where she shows herself being a mother to a child really and um it's sort of heartbreaking in that way so yeah there's there's so much to like about this obviously like the the glorious green explosion at the end i mean it's like one of the first times that game of thrones really had the budget to show something that was that like made people's jaw drops and and or made people's jaws drop and also the um the surprise element too like the strategic stuff you know for people who hadn't read the books this was probably a big a big twist for a lot of people so it was, it's a great episode for sure yeah i think that one's definitely a lock for our list uh what so what's next for you Man, uh, I'm going to say The Mountain and the Viper for me. This is season four, episode eight. Um, obviously, the fight between Oberyn Martell and, uh, is it uh, Sandor Clegane or Gregor Clegane? I can never uh, remember. Gregor. Gregor, Gregor okay, is yes. Mountain, yeah. Um, I mean, that that entire thing was like, 
uh, I mean, it, it's seared into my memory forever. Um, uh, Pedro Pascal, like, dancing and spinning around with his spear, and obviously, like, the, the horrific way that that all concludes, and the scream at the end from his paramour is just, like, uh, you know, soul-rattling. But also, there's a bunch of other cool stuff in this episode, like Grey Worm and Missandei's relationship finally starts to heat up, and there's that great moment also where Arya and the Hound show up at the Eerie, and uh, Lysa Aaron has been killed, and and Sansa is in there, but the two of them walk up to the door and then uh, realize, or the the uh, the gate and and the bloody gate, and <laughs> Arya realizes that, you know, yet again she's not going to be near her family, and she just breaks out into laughter, and they end up just like turning around and going away. Um, this is one of many of the really close calls that the show uh, and the books as well love to put these stark characters through uh, over the course of these the long journeys that they're on oh, this almost made my list and i think you made a really good point for it because in my mind uh it was the great final sequence the trial by combat with its incredible horrifying conclusion but i had forgotten about Arya arriving at the veil which is a really amazing scene <laughs> so i, I like, like this was definitely this, this scene I mean, this episode has contenders for best moment for me mm-hmm. uh, um i'm not sure it makes my best episode of the list about but, you know, I, I can be convinced. I, okay. think, I think it almost made it. All right. Uh, but I will make a strong argument for my third choice on the list, which is Baylor, the penultimate episode of season one, and the one with quite possibly the definitive TV moment of the past decade, which is Ned Stark getting his head chopped off. The entire episode is good up to this point. It's a lot, we check in with all the characters. We check in with um, where everybody is. There's a war going on. And then at the end, they take Ned Stark out to take the black and and confess his crimes. And we all think where well, the show is going. Oh, Ned, Ned Stark's going to go to the wall and he's going to team up with, with Jon Snow. And that's where the show is going to go, right? And then Joffrey establishes himself as one of the greatest villains in TV history by defying his family, defying sanity, defying everything to make a gruesome point and chopping off an innocent man's head in front of his daughter after he has wrongfully confessed to, to, to crimes he didn't commit so we could try to prevent further bloodshed and the rest of the episode is good very good even but i think this moment this definitive moment this final sequence is going to go down in pop culture history as one of the definitive not just moments but media moments something that's a, a cultural touchstone for as long as humanity still talks about art. I strongly believe this. So here's the thing, Jacob. I agree with everything you just said, except for me, it sounds like I, I have the same issue with this episode that you do with The Mountain and the Viper in that the moment is is there for me, but I don't know about the entirety of the episode around it. So um, yeah, we'll have to hash this one out as we as we come to the end of, of this part of the discussion. But uh, yeah, this one this one's going to take a lot of convincing for me to, for because I agree that, you know, the Ned starts beheading is like one of the key things, and I'm sure we'll end up ranking that somewhere on our list of moments as, as we uh, as we continue here but um hmm, i don't know i don't know about this uh all right so l- <laughs> let me let me move on let me move to uh i'm gonna say the winds of winter season six episode 10 as the show general as the general rule uh once the show hits season five for me i start to find a, a lot of problems with it um and and really it's basically like anything beyond George R. R. Martin's source material, I find that, and, you know, some of those things are um, softened upon rewatch when I, you know, divorce from the context of watching them the first time and waiting week by week, you know, once you have the ability to sort of binge through some of this stuff, some of those time and pacing problems go away. 
But for me, season six, episode 10, The Winds of Winter is uh, one of the best episodes of the whole series. Arya feeds Walder Frey's sons to him and then kills him, finally exacting revenge for the Red Wedding. There's this glorious wildfire explosion that destroys the Sept of Baelor, kills the High Sparrow, Marjorie, and tons of other characters. That shot of Tommen killing himself, walking out of the window and just falling face forward is like, oh man, that is also seared into my brain. Uh, John is proclaimed king in the north. Jon Snow's parentage is finally confirmed in the Tower of Joy flashback. Danny finally, finally sails to Westeros. So this is the point in the show where it's narrowing its focus. It's killing off characters that it doesn't really need anymore as it approaches its endgame. And it's finally sort of, um, you know, setting the table for the final battle that is to come. So uh, I, I loved the score in this episode too, especially how... Uh, it opens with that long. God, I'm I'm remember or I'm forgetting the name of Ramin Jawadi's uh, particular track. I think it's actually called Light of the Seven uh, that opens this episode. But it's so with the good. organ, right? Yes, yes, yeah. Um, and so the music. I mean, that is for me the pinnacle of the music of Game of Thrones, which has always been great across the board. But that's a real height, a high moment for me. And then, like I said, yeah, all of those those plot moments and. Um, just the shots and the compositions and everything in there, the winds of winter, I feel like has to be in there. This was my number four. This was the next one I was going to bring up. So I'm nice. glad you did. This episode is phenomenal and it tears down so much of the show. So it could be rebuilt for the final stretch. And it does so magnificently. And that opening sequence with the organ is the intercut between characters preparing for various trials or sabotages is the, the eeriest and the tensest and the most like devious the show has maybe ever been. I think this is a lock for our list. <laughs> for sure. Uh, next one on my list would have been The Spoils of War. So well, I'm going to jump to my number six, which is You Win or You Die from season one, uh, which, of course, is from Cersei Lannister's famous line, uh, when you play the Game of Thrones, you win or you die. And in rewatching season one, I realized how much I missed the smallness of season one in oh, some yeah. ways, where the show was all about the intrigue, and all about the maneuvering, all about people talking to each other and, and keeping secrets and choosing when to say things. And this episode is most noteworthy for uh, starting the stupid Ned Stark memes because Ned Stark chooses to confront Cersei with the truth of uh, of knowing about her and Jamie's relationship and the truth of the parentage of her children and that Robert Baratheon's kids uh, weren't real. So this is the episode where Robert dies. This is the episode where Ned has a confrontation. This is the episode where Ned is betrayed. And uh, by Littlefinger, after he walks into the third room thinking, you know, uh, the king's, the dead king's, you know, handwriting will save him. And it defines Ned Stark, it defines Cersei, it defines Littlefinger. Uh, we, we meet uh, Tywin for the first time when he's skinning a stag at the Lannister <laughs> camp, which is a nice touch. It's when uh, Jorah officially joins Team Danny uh, by stopping the wine merchant from uh, killing her. And uh, it's, it's when, uh, uh, when Drogo uh, vows to take her to Westeros, so it starts that ball going. So in addition to... You know, all the stuff in King's Landing, which is just phenomenal. And it's just Ned and Cersei, it's two opposing, you know, viewpoints. You know, I will, I will do anything uh, with my power to, to hold on to my power versus I'll do anything to be an honorable man collide. And we see for the first time who wins that fat battle in the Game of Thrones. I think this needs to be on. Man, that's a really good episode. It wasn't on my list, but I feel like you're convincing me there. Um, so let's move on to my next choice, and that is going to be... This is really tough because I didn't rank them beforehand. I'm going to say The Door, Season 6, Episode 5. Uh, it's another sort of late-game surprise for me because, like I said, I, I 
haven't really loved the later seasons, but uh, The Door is so good. And this is a moment that we know that George R. R. Martin uh, dictated to Benioff and Weiss, the showrunners of Game of Thrones. And so the way that, and, and the fact that they hired Jack Bender, who directed uh, some of the time travel-y episodes of Lost in particular, to to come on and, and direct this episode and sort of um, bring that whole thing home is a, an inspired choice on their part. And this episode is just so memorable. It's got Jorah revealing his grayscale to Danny, and she tells him to go find the cure. It's got the King's Moot, where uh, Theon and Yara meet up with Euron, and then they subsequently escape. It's got the first time that we see Lady Crane and the actors in Bravos, which is of the Bravos, the Bravosi storyline. Uh, one of the aspects that I didn't hate and didn't make me want to <laughs> slash my own guts out, like Arya was stabbed in, in those later episodes. Uh, it's got Bran and the Three Eyed Raven learning about the creation of the White Walkers, so sort of like filling in some really necessary backstory there. And then also the Night King touching Bran in the vision and the pacing of the episode as it comes to a close is just ramped up beyond almost anything we'd seen on the show to that point, culminating with the really, really tragic death of Hodor, which is like one of the saddest moments in the entire series. So uh, for me, the door is definitely in there. The door was my number eight, and I do believe also belongs on the list. And... After, I think the brand North of the Wall stuff is oftentimes really boring for a yeah. show that I find exciting, and this really justifies a lot of that. And it just and it brings, it it gives a really successful solution to a mystery I didn't know you needed solved, which is Hodor, mm-hmm. and it establishes Brand's powers in in a way that establishes him as something horrifying. Like he's not a superhero; he he causes the destruction of a human being over the course of decades by time traveling and using psychic abilities. It is heartbreaking and harrowing. And yes, it, it belongs on a list. All right. What's your next choice? Oh man. I'm going to talk about season five, uh, Ben, you may know where I'm going with this because season five is bad. Um, <laughs> especially, uh, the worst episode of the entire series is unbowed, unbent, unbroken yes. in this season. It is absolute nightmare, but it features hard home, which is what the walking dead. wishes it was. This is, this is a heavy metal, album brought to life it is <laughs> knights uh, versus uh zombies like, versus white walkers uh, in this uh on this icy coast and with the final image of the night king raising his hands to renew his army with all the fallen uh i think just from a pure action standpoint is such a successful set piece and it redeems so much of season five because season five is it's always the, the the black sheep whenever we talk about that season, but it's always yeah, but it's always hard home. Mm-hmm. So here's my question: Is hard home good enough uh, to redeem season five and let it onto this list? It is. It's on my list as well. Um, obviously, there's the whole great you know extended fight scene against the Night King's army. There's the the first time that that John kills a White Walker with Longclaw and that really great shot where he just disappears into like ice shards. But there's also Sansa sort of finding hope for the first time, like during a really really bleak period in her life when Theon tells her that he didn't kill Bran and Rickon, uh, or Rickon, and that that is a a moment that she needed after the awfulness of Unbowed, Unbent, Unbroken. Um, And then also, I think that's the episode, yeah, it is, where where, uh, Tyrion meets Daenerys for the first time and, like, sort of officially becomes her advisor. So there's some really good stuff, uh, you know, outside of that amazing battle sequence as well, which is, I think, for me anyway, people, you know, listeners may be starting to sense a pattern there. I really love the episodes that have great battle moments but aren't fully devoted to battles in their entirety, if that makes sense. So, um, yeah, I think I think Hardome's got to be on the list. 
All right, cool. What's next for you? Uh, man, next for me, I would say The Children, probably, which is season four, episode 10. This is the one where Stannis rides into the north and captures Mance Raider. Uh, Bran reaches the heart tree, but Jojen is killed. So there's a, a little bit more of that action north of the wall that, that finally sort of you know picks up the pace there and makes things worth it there's like uh whites rising from the like skeleton whites rising from the ground and throwing uh, the children of the forest are throwing grenades and stuff and everything's blowing up um and there's some actual uh, consequences there with uh with jojen dying um Tyrion is freed and kills shay and tywin and that's like i mean obviously both of those are, are huge moments in the show um there's the brienne versus the hound uh, sword fight face-off which is like epic in its own way and then uh, triumphantly the end where Arya finally heads for Braavos um, which sets up you know it, it sets off a series of uh, of events that <laughs> I guess in the when you're looking at them um, on a micro level I don't really love a lot of the stuff that happens in Braavos but from a macro level it's super important for Arya to you know gain her powers and go through her whole training and all that stuff at the House of Black and White so uh, I, I remember being super stoked the first time I saw this episode and and you know having her um, you know show Jack and Hagar's coin to somebody from Braavos and say you know take me there like let's go you know her on the ship you know with her entire future ahead of her and and finally leaving Westeros behind to go and, and be the warrior that she was meant to become um, moved me a lot at the the first time I saw it and I it it worked just as well the second time so this is one of the I think the best season finales in Game of Thrones history but uh, do you have do you share my love for the children oh it didn't make my list but I think you're right I think you convinced <laughs> me uh, we'll, we'll come back to it because it's definitely better than my number 10 which well, I haven't got there yet <laughs> my number eight was the door which is which we discussed already but number nine is the reigns of Castamere oh yeah that was uh, the next one on my list too uh, the red wedding and this is this this gutted me when I read it, and it gutted me all over again when I watched it happen on the screen. This is, of course, the the murder of Rob Stark, Caitlin Stark, and most of the Stark allies uh, at at, at uh, the twins, at the twins yeah. by House Frey. And the rest of the episode has things going on. Uh, I mean, John in the North is when he uh, is when it's when John uh, escapes from the Wildlings and. Uh, has some stuff going on with Danny across across the ocean, but the twins is where we spend a lot of this episode, and the build up to that wedding because when Game of Thrones spends its time in one place for for too long, it's the show tipping you off that something's about to happen, because the show bounces from so many locations, so many characters with such rapid pace sometimes, that we're expecting you know Rob Stark to forge his alliance, march on uh, Castle Rock, and you know win the day because he's Rob Stark. And he's not going to make the same mistake his father did, right? And the longer that wedding goes on and the more we spend time there and more people are just sitting there, like, having conversations about things that aren't Mm plot-driven, it just becomes so much more upsetting because you get that feeling in your stomach that something's not right, something's not right. So when Caitlin knows something's wrong, um, we, we, I think, physically understand how she realizes it. And the final slaughter remains the most gutted I think this show has left me. I mean, Ned Stark is shocking, but this left me... The good guys lose here, Ben. They they lose. Oh, yeah. It's and, bad. And, and, and they don't recover for seasons. The Lancers are still in power for years. Uh, and I think that this episode is 
it, it's end of a, it's end of an era for the show, and I think it has to be on the list. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's on my list as well, and you know, it's one of those great moments of Game of Thrones subverting fantasy tropes. Like you think that Ned Stark's son is going to avenge him. And it's just because of a tactical error on Rob's part that he offended the wrong guy and the entire rug gets swept out from under him and or pulled out from under him. And it just it, it is like the most deadly, the most like viscerally shocking moment in uh, in Game of Thrones history, I think, even though, you know, more people probably. Well, no, I guess I mean, there's there are a ton of stark people that die off screen uh, in this. So I was going to say that maybe the Sept of Baylor explosion at the end may have like technically killed more people. But I think this one, um, you know, there are tons of like soldiers and stuff in camps right outside of the twins and they were all slaughtered as well. So yeah, there's this one, uh, man, this is like, this is the one that people, you know, shot video reactions of like book readers knew <laughs> it was coming and it was such a huge deal. So um there are, I think, two more on my list that we haven't talked about, one of which I, <laughs> I'm i not convinced needs to be on there. So I think one of your, the ones that you talked about could be... Oh, I'll just go ahead and mention that one. It's The yeah. Watchers on the Wall, which is Season 4, Episode 9. It's the battle at Castle Black. And, you know, I mentioned I didn't really love all the episodes that, that just focus on one battle, but Neil Marshall came back to direct this episode. He directed... Um, the uh, uh, Battle of Blackwater episode that we talked about earlier. And... Um, uh, Ygritte's death is the the moment the the relationship between Jon Snow and Ygritte um, comes to a sad end in this episode and that's the one where I was like searching for episodes to to fill out the rest of this list and I was like ah, I guess I could see that one making the cut but I, I think you probably have made a stronger case for um, either you know some of the other ones that you've mentioned here so we can we can go back and forth on that um, did you have any other did you talk about all of them yet did you hit your I, I, I have one more left okay what's and that? honestly it's not going to hang looking at our list now I, I think that the children should be in this slot and I, this is the laws of gods and men from season four which is the actual trial of Tyrion Lannister and oh, I like yeah. the episode uh, a lot because I think that it pays off in the in the mountain in the viper with the trial by combat but this is such a showcase for Peter Dinklage. Uh, I mean, he's always been the, he's a breakout, you know, star of the show. Even though you know, in an ensemble show, there's no leads, but you know, Peter Dinklage is the lead of Game of Thrones. And seeing him put on this, put on trial in this farce, and seeing the scenes between him, and Jamie, and him and Tywin, where you see the Lannister family at its core, and you and you see uh, the dynamic play out in ways that are. It hurts because Ty, Tyrion genuinely loves his family. He loves the Lannister name. He want, he has spent his entire life trying to support it. He has spent all this show fighting to preserve his family, and his family's offering up as, as a sacrificial lamb. And the sequence where uh, Tyrion says, um, I'm, I'm on trial for being a dwarf, it is maybe my favorite Peter Dinklage moment in the entire series mm -hmm. because I think there's a lot of truth in that moment, and there's a lot of... Uh, of him as a human being coming through that because you know as, as a, as a uh, little person in modern world you know he's he is facing same freaking things that Tyrion Lannister is facing and mm -hmm. that's a shame that's hard and 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 having him act that out here really hits hard uh but I looking at the rest of this list I think I'm okay cutting this one yeah I agree um the the only other one that I would maybe make an argument for is season one, episode one, the pilot, Winter is Coming, um, just because of the way that it sets the stage for everything. You get that great introduction to Ned, you know, teaching his kids, you, you know, ta talking about having to be the one who swings the sword and actually carries out the execution, you know, establishing this guy who you think is going to be the grand hero of this whole story. Um, you've got the 
the establishment of so many different uh, dynamics and and um, you know little pieces of mythology and just like the geography of everything, you know, like the how this how this world is so much bigger than you think it is from the start. Um, you've got uh, Viserys and and Danny. You know, you've got the the meeting of Drog of Call uh, Drogo for the first time. You've got um, I mean, the, the very end, too. Like, that's arguably one of the more memorable moments of the series where Jamie pushes Bran out of the window at, at Winterfell. So um, I, I think a case could be made for that, but I don't know. Um, okay, so with all of this said, uh, Jacob, what do we have so far? What do you think is locked in, and what do you think we still need to battle it out to figure right. out? There are six episodes that we both have on our list, so I think these should be locked in. And those are The Door, The Winds of Winter, Blackwater, The Spoils of War, Hardhome, and the Reigns of Castamere. Based on our reactions to each other, I think the children and You Win or You Die should be on this list as well. I think that makes sense. Um, so what is that? That's eight? Yep, that's eight. So let me add those to my little document here. So the question now is what goes in the last two slots? Mm-hmm. I would. Um, my number one is still the Lion in the Rose. So if you put, we put Lion in the Rose on this list, you can put anything from your list on the top ten. We can call it a day. Or call know, it a day. Call it a list. <laughs> I feel like because it's your number one, it has to go on the list. And I think most of mine have gotten on there now. Um, the only thing is I wonder if the Mountain and the Viper should go or... Oh man, I guess we're going to have that conversation momentarily as soon as we start talking about the moments. But, um, man, uh, <laughs> I, w- I would still... I think I would still make the case for the Mountain and the Viper just because of the... the you know, obviously the, the fight is so memorable, but what I said before, like... The Arya and the Hounds showing up at the Eyrie and and um, Grey Worm and the Sandy, which is a relationship that you know, I I think is is much more. If, correct me if I'm wrong, Jacob, because it's been several years since I've read the books, but is is much more involved in the show than it is in the books because Miss Sandy is much younger in the books. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. So um, you know, that's a, that's a thing that uh, sort of keeps the the Daenerys in uh, Essos storyline. Um, or in Slaver's Bay storyline, uh, it, it gives you a reason to want to go back there for so long during the series when a, a lot of that subplot tends to get pretty circular as well. Um, so I don't know. What do you think? Mm, I think that of the ones left on your... Well, of all the ones unclaimed for this list, on both of our lists, two top contenders for me feel like Mountain of Viper and Baylor. And I know you had apprehensions about Baylor. And I, I, actually, we had the same apprehensions about each of these episodes. <laughs> me toward Baylor. Sorry, me toward Mountain Viper and you toward Baylor. Yeah. Um, but I think Baylor is going to get its uh, props in our best moments list. Mm-hmm. And I think people are going to give us crap for leaving Baylor off this list. But let's lock in Mountain and the Viper and call this a list. Or or should Mountain and the Viper and Baylor cross each other off and we put you win and you uh, you win or you die in as like the the de facto winner, you know? <laughs> Hmm. Well, I thought we already put you in or you die on there. Oh, that was already in there. We yeah, we we, just, we decided to add that and the children. Okay, all right. Uh, yeah. My notes are all over the place. Uh, I like it. Let's do that. Let's lock in Mountain and the Viper, and that right. that should do it, right? That's all. Yeah. 10s. Yeah. We'll, we'll we'll figure out the the top the actual order of the ten offline. But yeah. for those of you listening at home, uh, unranked, the door, the winds of winter, Blackwater, spoils of war, hard home, the reigns of Castamere, the children. You win or you die. The lion and the rose, and the mountain and the viper. That's a damn fine list, Ben. It is. It is. I'm proud of us. All right. So let's get into the the real nitty gritty of Game of Thrones. Let's talk about the best moments in the history of the show. This, 
I feel like we're, <laughs> man, we're going to have some some maybe more uh, knockdown, drag out kind of battles over this. So uh, how do we want to do this? Should we just like each like list a thing that happens in the show? And then uh, how, how do you how do you want to approach this, Jacob? All right. I didn't rank these ones. Uh, and I have more than 10 here. Oh, yeah. So I, I have we, way more than 10. <laughs> so I, I vote for a rapid fire thing. Um, you say a moment or I say a moment. Um and you and the other one can instantly veto it, or we can say, yeah, let's discuss it, and let's be let's be ruthless here. Okay, all right, um, <laughs> all right. I'm I'm not even gonna say the first thing on my list, which was Tyrion slapping Joffrey. It's such a small moment, but I enjoyed it. I was go, I was trying to go through chronologically the entire history of the show and put my moments in that order, and I really didn't find much in season one that uh, that made the cut for me. So that was one of the two things in season one. But I'll just jump ahead to. Ned's murder, which is what you're talking about in Baylor, the the beheading of Ned Stark, which is like one of the key moments in the history of the show. Yes, that should be on the list. All right. Um, I will go ahead and do the other big murder. The Red Wedding needs to be on this list. Yes, definitely. Um, I, okay, so I, I let's just call it the first big Dracaris moment, where Danny reveals that she speaks Valerian, she kills the Yunkai slaver, she takes back her dragon, and secures Missandei and the Unsullied army. That was like one of the big epic moments of I forget even which season that was, maybe season two or something. Season, season three. three, episode four, I okay, believe. Yes. So, what do you think about that moment? That was also on my list. I'm putting it on our to discuss list. All right. Uh, I'm gonna jump around just a little bit. Um, uh, from Two Swords, from season four, The Hound Wants Chicken. <laughs> okay, so uh, I, I remember and appreciate this moment. I'm not sure if that belongs in like a list. It depends on how many we're doing. Do we even know? Are we going to narrow this to like a top 20 or something? I want this to be a bloodbath, Ben. I want t- 15 maximum, oh, but preferably 10. Jeez. All right. Wow. I, 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 I want chicken. I, I, I want that to include the entire tavern fight that follows. <laughs> Arya getting her sword back and stabbing the guy, and then riding off into the burning horizon. I think that all counts as a moment. Wow. Okay. All right. Well, that makes it uh, makes me a little bit more open to it, but I, I would say put that on the to-discuss list. Okay. Um, how about Brienne versus the bear uh, in The Bear and the Maiden Fair? Uh, I have to veto this, or at least I'm going to offer a veto, only because filming a television show with a bear means that the sequence, while it's an incredibly dramatic moment, and I like the decisions being made from a character point of view, it just looks kind of cheap. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Um, but yeah, if you want, if you if you say no back, I want it on the list. I'll put it on the list, but I just want to make sure. Yeah, no, 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 we... that's good. I'll I'll put up a big fight if it's something I truly believe in. Okay. Um, this one. Um, okay. Tyrion's Blackwater speech. Those are brave men knocking on our gates. Let's go kill them. Yeah, I had the Battle of Blackwater Bay as like a whole moment. So I feel like that that is probably, um, you know, collected within that. So I, th- I feel like that should go on there. Yeah, let's do that. And let's, 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 let's narrow it down to that moment. And that's like, you know, a 30 minute sequence. And what makes it real quickly, in addition to that great speech, his great heroic speech where he rallies the troops. The look on his face afterward where he realizes, oh shit, I'm terrified. It makes that scene work for me. It's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. yeah, definitely. All right, what's your next one? Um, okay, so I will be your champion when Oberyn Martell comes to Tyrion in the, the dungeon. What do you think? Oh, it's a really good moment. I'm going to put it on our to-discuss list. Okay. Um, the meeting in the dragon pit from the Dragon Ooh. and the Wolf Season 7, where all the starting characters in the entire series, all one place, hash out for a half hour. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Uh, for, for discussion or for locking in? Uh, lock that shit in. 
Okay, that what's is, for you? Yeah, that is on my list. I'm really excited about that. Okay, um, we got to do the Mountain versus the Viper. That that fight and the the scream and the the whole thing. You know, uh, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. The whole thing. I mean, it's just glorious. Yeah, this list would be a sham without it. <laughs> um, from uh, a Golden Crown season one, you did not you do not fight honorably, uh, queuing Braun. No, but he did. <laughs> That's a great moment. I'm not sure if it should be in here for being ruthless. I got to say, um, I, sh- I should probably veto that. I know that you're very passionate about the Braun character, so I apologize yeah, I, in I, advance. But <laughs> I love Braun. We'll, we'll, maybe we'll get Braun on this list. I'm cool cutting it because this is gonna, this list is gonna be a bloodbath. But uh, I do think that's just a perfect moment summing up who Braun is and summing up so much of the show's ethos. But yeah, I, I'm deleting it right now. What's next for you? Uh, how about God? Um maybe Hodor's death. I know we talked about it already, but just the, the way that that whole episode culminates and like you, like you were saying before, I think about something else, like you, you, the answers to questions that you didn't even know that you, (laughs) that you had, that you needed, like the way it's so heartbreaking. Yeah. I have hold the door on my list here. (laughs) Yeah. So I think, um, hold the door and all related to it makes the list. Yes. Uh, okay. How about, um, Queen of Thrones, Queen of Thorns, downing the poison and telling Jamie, tell Cersei it was me. Yes, I have that on my list as well. It's such a great moment. Yeah, um, so maybe the most boss exit of the entire series. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> um, let's see, let's see. Maybe um, I'm trying to I'm trying to rank these in order of like importance instead of order of chronology. Now, um, okay, so here's one that that's way smaller, but I think is is really really important and that's jamie and brienne in the cave when he talks about how he stabbed the mad king in the back and why and you that's like the moment where jamie lannister as a character is completely recontextualized for the audience and and it it turns him from you know this creepy guy who has sex with his own sister into a a sort of tragic hero character even though he's done terrible things um it, it adds some extra shading to that character and really sort of gets you on his side for the first time i think uh, ben, I know you think it's a small moment, but I have JB's hot tub confession on my list. All right. So let's put that. Let's lock that one in. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Um, this one needs no introduction. The Night King raises his arms in hard home. Yeah, yeah, that's got to be on there, man. That's such a good visual. All um, right. How about you? I'm gonna say. Okay, here's a moment that I, I don't know if you're going to buy, but I, I, would, I would make the case for it, which is uh, Arya finally looking Jock and Hagar in the face and saying, a girl is Arya Stark of Winterfell, and I'm going home. What do you think about that? It's good, but I hate all the House Black and White stuff, so let's put <laughs> it in the discussion stuff for now. Okay. All right, how about one I think we can both agree on? Jorah Mormont wakes up to find Danny alive with three dragons. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I actually forgot about that moment, but as soon as you mention it, it's like, of course, that should be on here. <laughs> yeah, but you, what's next for you? Uh, how about um, I mean, Tyrion's trial? Does that belong? I mean, you know, that's one of the things that was on my list, and you talked about it in the moments or in the episodes section, but uh, Peter Dinklage's performance is so great there. I, do you think that has room on on such a, um, a small list of, of moments from the entire series? I think it's amazing, um, but I think we have already have an amazing Peter Dinklage monologue on this with Blackwater. Yeah, and we have his trial represented already with the Mountain versus the Viper. So I think we should probably cut it. Okay, all right, fair enough. Um, all right, how about, how about, how about you? Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, Danny and Dothraki attack the Lancer caravan. Spoils of War season yeah, seven. Yeah, that's got to be in there. I love that moment so much. Yeah. 
So what are we at with the locked in moments? Locked in, point? we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. With Holy three discussion. Crap. Okay. So I have, I have a few more on my list. Let's just let's just forget about numbers for now. Yeah. Figure out what, what should be cut, which should be considered, which should be locked, and even if the cuts some locked, we'll figure it out. Okay. What, what's next for you? All right. Uh, I'm gonna say the the Sept of Baylor explosion and Tommen's death. Like those sort of moments go hand in hand for me. And and Cersei like looking out the window and drinking wine as the whole thing goes up. Um, because I hate the High Sparrow so much, <laughs> so much, that entire thing, uh, just to see him go up in flames like that was so cathartic and satisfying for me after, like, seasons of his bullshit. Um, and, and I know it's a big moment for Cersei as well. Do you think that should be on here? Oh, man. My one little quibble is that it, it feels like a series of, it feels like two moments. Tommen's death and Sept Baylor exploding should be two moments. <sighs> yeah, you might be so, right. Uh, so here's my question. As powerful as Sept of Baylor is blowing up, I think the shot of Tommen's death sums up the episode better than anything. Yeah. We should just make it that moment. I agree. Yep, that sounds good. Perfect. All right. Um, this is a moment I personally love. I'm worried after looking at this list that's almost too quaint, <laughs> <laughs> which is uh, Tyrion telling Littlefinger, Pycelle, and Varys three different stories to figure out who, which one of them is Cersei's mole. <laughs> oh, man, that says so much about his character, but on a list like this, I don't know if it's going to fly. Um, I, I also love that moment. Um, and, and sort of the same thing with, like, Jamie losing his hand, which is another thing that was on my list. You know, it's like, it, it's the same same concept as Ned being beheaded. It's like the show telling you that nobody's safe, you know, even the characters that you think are, are big deals um, are not always impervious to uh, the ruthlessness of the residents of Westeros. So um, I feel like that one shouldn't make the cut just because the general idea of it is is sort of encapsulated in Ned's murder, which is already on the list. Yeah, let's cut Tyrion tricking them and the hand chop off. I feel like uh, we already have some good Tyrion stuff on this list, and I think Jamie's uh, confession to Brienne is uh, a more lasting moment than yeah. the hand actually being lost. Yeah. Um, Lysa through the moon door. That's another one that like maybe on a list of 50 would be on there, but probably not on, on such a small list like this. Let me throw out one more. Let me say, um, yeah, I, I'm almost, I can almost hear your response already, but I'm going to say it anyway, just for the, the listeners. So they know that we're not forgetting these great moments. Tyrion and Jorah sailing through Valyria and encountering the stone men for the first time. What do you think about that? It's real good. It doesn't make my top 15. Okay. All right. Fair enough. I'm going to go ahead and chop off my last two because I don't think they cut it, um, which is Eddie's scene with Arya and Tywin season two. Oh, yeah. Because I think everything between Charles Dance and Maisie Williams is like electric, but I also have a really hard time narrowing down the one scene, and mm -hmm. I think that's a problem. So I, I, I want to give my props to those two actors uh, in Heron Hall just doing incredible work together. Yeah. But I think I can let it go. And one you mentioned earlier, um, Arya's laugh after learning her aunt died yeah. <laughs> is an incredible moment. And I'd put it on this list before I put Arya's going home on it. But what do you think? I feel like maybe the purple wedding should go on the list before that. What do you think? Joffrey's death and... Oh, the... that's my number one episode. So yes, okay, we'll cut Arya's laugh. 
and put Purple Wedding up on discussion. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's any... I'm just, like, blasting through a lot of my sort of uh, leftover answers here, like Drogon swooping in to stop the Sons of the Harpy attack in the fighting pits, which was a cool oh, moment God, at the time, but, like... CGI is bad. Yeah, I can't, it... Dramatically it works, but technically it doesn't. And even, like, Cersei's Walk of Shame, I mean, it's a great moment, but I'm not sure that it fits in this. Same thing with, like, the, the fight at the Tower of Joy, the flashback that Bran is watching with his dad and, like, Howlin' Reed and those guys... Um, yeah. It's some really great sword play, but I, I just don't know if it, it stands for a, a list like this. Um, We're cutting bone here, Ben. These are bones you got to go. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, how about the Hound versus Beric Dondarrion in the cave when, when we see Beric resurrected? It's really good. I would fight for the Hound in the tavern with Arya before I fought for that. All right, fair enough. Uh, and then I think I only have like a couple more. So, uh, John and Egret in the cave, there was a, <laughs> I think in that, that same episode as Jamie and Brienne, there was, there was another cave scene, uh, John Snow proving that he doesn't quite know nothing. <laughs> I love this scene. I love that John Snow apparently invented oral sex, uh, <laughs> but it is, um, uh, no, no, I, I think those two have great chemistry and I, I, I love those two together. I just feel like it. Does it, it? I don't feel like it can make this list. All right, fair enough. Yeah, uh, Hound versus Brienne. That fight with Arya, sort of watching, and and I think Pod is there as well, watching on from yeah. the side. What do you think about that? Let's put this into discussion. One, I do like this scene. Okay, and then um, Danny burning the temple of the Dash Kaleen, uh late in the series. What do you think about that one? It's good, but it's um, it's her burning the slavers all over again. Yeah, it's the Dracarys moment, but just a, a different spin and on it. And Dracarys is better, if we're going to be honest. Yeah, for sure. All right, so I think that's it. The only other one that I had on here was um, John killing the White Walker with Longclaw at Hardhome. Just that shot, that that sort of baseball swing of the sword and the explosion into diamond dust um, just looked really cool. That's one of the, the big moments that sort of sticks out in my head, but I'm, I'm not sure if if you agree enough to put it on this list. I know we both really like the hard home episode, but I don't know about that specific moment. I really like it. I think that our, our to discuss pile is uh, full of moments. I'd rather have on this <laughs> Too big. List. All right. So let's do all it. Right, let's right. get into the to discuss pile. Okay. Let's, let's talk about this real quick because there are 13 on our locked in pile and five in our to discuss pile. So how about, have you thought, how about we make this a top 15? Okay. Pick two from our to discuss pile and um, ask the others and call this list to go. I think so. Yes. All right, so here's what's not locked in and up for discussion for these final two slots. Uh, Oberyn saying he'll be Tyrion's champion. The Hound wants chicken in the ensuing tavern fight. Arya tells Jockin she's going home. The Purple Wedding with Joffrey's death. And the Hound versus Brienne. Oh, man. Uh, well, all right, gut reaction for you. Wh which of those two jump out at you? Uh, of, of those, tavern fight, hands down. It's my favorite moment of, of, this, of, of this little column. Okay, and, and just for people who maybe don't know the full shorthand, explain that scene just a, in a little bit more detail in case it's going over people's heads. It's in the beginning of Season 4, uh, when uh, the Hound abducted Arya in Season 3, took her to the twins just in time for her family to be massacred. So now he has a hostage, doesn't know what to do with her, he's dragging her around Westeros, and he stops at a tavern where a group of Lannister soldiers are, uh, are have gathered to drink and eat. And the hound demands uh, they demands uh, chicken and uh, drink and deliberately picks a fight with uh, the Lancer soldiers in his way, which is to be incredibly funny, incredibly insulting, and say that he eat a whole lot of chickens in the funniest way imaginable. In the ensuing fight, the hound kills a bunch of guys. 
Arya finds Polliver, who uh, killed her friend back in season two and stole Needle. And she takes Needle back and repeats Polliver's words from um, when she killed uh, her friend Lonnie and slowly cuts his throat with Needle. And the two of them <laughs> march off in the sunset on their horses towards all these burning fields and the hound just munching on a chicken and Arya has her own horse now and you realize that you've, brought, you've witnessed Game of Thrones' best duo ever. And you're about I to just... see a buddy comedy between the two of them. <laughs> yes. Uh, Alright, I think you've convinced me. I think we can put that on there. Alright, I'm going to put a little star next to it instead of putting it on there because I want to hear, is there one more on this list that you're as passionate about as I am for that one? I... We can, you can... So, so just to be clear, the other categories were, or the other contenders were uh, I Want to Be Your Champion, Oberyn Martell, uh, Arya's Going Home from Bravos, The Purple Wedding, and The Hound versus Brienne. So for me, I, I feel like I Want to Be Your Champion, or I'll Be Your Champion is is too tied up in The Mountain versus The Viper, which we already have on the list, so we could probably scrap that. I think, um, I think The Purple Wedding is probably a good encapsulation of Game of Thrones at large, because it's got the death of a villain who you hate. You've spent seasons hating this character because he's such a little shit. But the final shot, or one of the final shots, of of um, Joffrey from above, where he, you know, his face is literally turning purple, which is, like, why the it's called the Purple Wedding. Uh, in, like, blood is, like, dripping out of his nose. It's, like, a horrific image. And you realize in that moment that there's some humanity to this kid. He is a kid. He is a, undoubtedly a piece of shit. But he's also a, a person. And, like you kind of feel bad despite yourself for like, you know, being, for enjoying his death. Um, and I feel like the, that kind of complexity is something that Game of Thrones gets at and not a lot of other shows do. What do you think about that? I think you're right. I think not only is it an incredibly memorable death, but Cersei's reaction to this monster dying is so like horrifying to watch. Mm -hmm. And the fact that, yeah, we're cheering for the death of this villain, but it immediately results in everyone's favorite character being put in prison. Yeah, <laughs> is yeah. the most Game of Thrones thing to ever happen. <laughs> so how about right. we put these two on the list, delete the others, and we uh, have our top 15. Okay, I like it. All right, so let's move on into our final... Oh, do you want, want, want me to read it off real quick? Oh, so yeah, people... do that, do that. Okay, yeah, yeah. so let's get home. Going along, here's our top 15 unranked. The Execution of Ned Stark, The Red Wedding, Danny Burns the Slavers, It Was a Brave Man Knocking on Our Gate, the meat pit, the viper versus the mountain, hold the door, tell Cersei it was me, Jamie's hot tub confession, the night king raises his arms, Danny is alive with newborn dragons, Danny's forces attack the Lannister caravan, Tommen's death, the hound wants chicken, and the purple wedding. Oh man, that, that's like a greatest hits, like a highlight reel of the whole show. I love it. Uh, yeah, I feel like we captured a lot there. I'm very happy with that. Okay, so let's get into... <laughs> I'm not even sure how <laughs> we're going to really do this, but this is what we're calling like yearbook superlatives for the surviving Game of Thrones characters. So to be clear, anybody who is dead in the show at this point is not eligible for any of these categories, even though several dead characters would be perfect fits for a lot of these. Um, I, I think Jacob and I just sort of like threw out a bunch of categories uh, and I think we're just going to sort of blow through them one by one and see I don't know Jacob what, what do you think should we just like see if we both agree that the same person should be uh, bestowed this honor or should we and, and if it's not then we'll just sort of make our case for why we think that person should be given that uh, particular superlative this is the joke category so I'm not prepared to fight too hard for most of these <laughs> so how about um, we'll just rotate uh, I'll announce the category okay. you, or, you say um, who you pick I say who I pick 
we come to a quick decision between the two, we just not fight about it. <laughs> then you say the next category, and we just repeat the process. Okay, sounds good. All right, so I'll start. Uh, so these are the those are the, those are, those are the characters who have survived the four years of high school. That is Westeros. Uh, this is coming into the final year, the yearbook. So who wins the life of the party? Uh, I would say Tyrion Lannister is the life of the party. I don't know about you. I have also given this to Tyrion Lannister. What's the next category, Ben? Uh, most likely to end up on the Iron Throne. Who do you got? Uh, I say Jon Snow because nothing goes right for anyone on this show, and he's the last person who wants it, so he'll get it. Oh, man, I have Daenerys Targaryen, and I just feel like the show has been leading to that, and it's going to be like a like a bittersweet accomplishment if she finally gets it. Like, it's not going to be what she thought it was the whole time. Maybe Jon, her lover, is going to die in the process. I don't know. Um, I, I think... Um, you know what? I'm cool with this because I have Jon for a few other categories. Jon Snow pops up at least twice more on my list. So okay. let's give this one to Danny. Yeah, that's good because I think he's only on my list one other time. So that'll, that'll work. Uh, all, right. all right. So next up is most likely to be double-crossed. Who do you have here? John Snow again. John he is Snow. his father's son. Oh, I'm sorry. He, he is his he is his uncle's son. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, I had Jamie, but I feel like you could be right there. Uh, I guess Jamie would have already been double crossed uh, by this point, because as far as we know right now, he's like heading north to to help out with the battle up in the north. So I don't know if anybody up there, Littlefinger's dead. I don't know if anybody up there would really double cross him. So yeah, let's go with John for that one. Okay, sounds good to me. Uh, most likely to double cross. Who do you put? Uh, I mean, this one is Cersei Lannister. Like anybody that she comes in contact with, I feel like she's likely to double cross them. What do you think? Oh yeah, that was my choice too. Uh, unanimous. Like even in the even in, in last season's finale, she's still plotting her double crosses <laughs> to the war with the undead. Yes, yes. All uh, right. So, so what's the next category? So most likely to be eaten by a dragon. Who do you have here? Uh, the dragon's got to avenge your fallen. The Night King's going to get eaten by a dragon. So chop him right up. Okay. I had Euron Greyjoy just because I feel oh, like it would be really fun to see Euron being destroyed by a dragon. But the Night King, oh man, that one makes a lot of sense too. I don't know. Should we go with like the one that makes sense or the one that would be the most fun to see? <laughs> In this case, I think Euron, that son of a bitch, deserves to be chopped by a dragon so hard. Okay. So let's let's give this to Euron. All right. So then, what's next? Uh, most stylish, his and hers. All right. So this is another one where I actually have Euron Greyjoy as the his. I feel like he's rocking that sort of uh, pirate look. I hate that character, but his style is sort of <laughs> undeniable. And then Sansa Stark is who I have for the hers on this one. What do you Ooh. think? Sans is good. Um, I put Daenerys for my uh, best female dress. I think she just has such a wide variety. She does. Of amazing uniforms. And her season seven black outfit is incredible. But once Sansa goes back north and she's wearing her Starky gear, mm-hmm. oh man, she, 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 I'll have to think about this one for a second. But I, I can't agree with Euron. I think Jamie wears armor better than any man in this show. I think Jamie is the most stylish. I mean, I'll give it to Jamie Lannister. I'm, I'm certainly okay with Euron getting one less category, that son of a bitch. Uh, <laughs> so. And and I honestly, uh, it was a toss-up between Sansa and Danny for me because, like you said, Danny has such a wealth of options, and and she seems to have like a a style for every environment. So I don't I don't know. There are more opportunities for her to have better looks. So maybe she should get it by default. I, I like put it. I like giving this one to Danny. We just gave her most like into the Iron Throne. So I think Sansa deserve. Sansa wears that Stark clothes as well as Jon Snow and Rob ever did. That's... I I. I... I think Sansa gets this one now. That's true. Me. She has the the confidence in it as well, and she's like throwing you know wolf pelts yeah. around her shoulders. That's that's always great. Danny dresses well, but she but she, her she's her dress is put together by a team. Sansa is wearing her heart. <laughs> that is true, and I think she actually makes 
some of her own clothes or she certainly sewed something for john like a piece of uh armor or something like that for yeah. him um anyway so all right next up is most talented who do you have here oh brianna fucking tarth man Ooh, shit i did not think about that i have Arya stark because of all of her like house of black and white face swapping and like voice work and all that i guess you you could argue that that is like magic and maybe she's not doing most of the work there and brianna actually trained for her for her skill and talent so uh yeah let's give it to brianna yeah, well, mo- next one is most cunning. So who you have for that? I got Kyburn for this one. I don't know. What do you think? Oh, this, this was my Arya category. I, this is where I, I split most talented between Brienne and Arya and gave Kari- Arya most cunning. So she, man, she fed Walter Frey's sons to him. But that I don't know about cunning. Like cunning is uh, to me implies more of like the the you know back channel scheming that Kyburn does and like you know, crafting uh, illegal maester shit and, and bringing people back to life and, like, designing dragon crossbows and stuff, um, you know, all sort of under the table. Ah, but I don't know. What do you think? What do you... Uh, am, I, am I making any sense here? How about we say no to both those and put Varys instead? <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, that's the perfect answer. How did we... Neither <laughs> one of us come up with that. Okay. Varys it is. Uh, so most evil... Uh, I mean, if we were doing dead people, I, f- I feel like Ramsey would have to take this, but Cersei is maybe the most evil? I don't know. Who, who do you have? Uh, I put Night King, because at least Cersei's a human being. <laughs> Night, King is, is, Night King is just pure evil, distilled into one cold son of a bitch. That so. is absolutely true. I am changing that. Yes, Night King it is. All right, uh, next All right. up, the most devoted family member. And you could take this in a myriad of ways. I'm interested yeah. to see how you're going to take it. Who do see, you got? This was, this was originally my Sansa category, but now that we gave her best, uh, most stylish, I'm prepared to be convinced otherwise. Okay, so I'm going to say Samuel Tarly. I feel like he has done almost nothing in the show but read books and be protective of Gilly and little Sam. And I feel like he's the one... He's the true family man of this whole thing. Yeah, you're right. He created his own family. His original family is shit, and he made his own. He protected it. I think this is an excellent answer. All right. So, what's the next category? What do you? What are you reading this uh, one? I've I've lost. I'll read, I'll read this one. Okay. Uh, worst family member. <laughs> okay. Oh yes, yes. Here we go. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna drop a surprise answer in here and say Davos Seaworth because he has a <laughs> he has a wife who he has completely abandoned and never mentioned for like seasons on end. Uh. I mean, you know, certainly his child, uh, at least one son, died in the Battle of Blackwater Bay. But I don't think since then he has mentioned the wife that is just, like, waiting somewhere for Davos to come home. Okay, I put Tyrion here because he kills his father and betrays his family and joins the opposing side. But I feel like he still has his best interests at heart for ultimately the Lannister name. So, you know what? I think Davos takes this one. (laughs) All right. uh, Most likely to start a band. Who do you Um, think would fit here? We hear his pipes in uh, Blackwater, and that is Braun, because the actor who plays him was part of a British pop duo in the 90s, and I think that is uh, something that the show should have had more should have more of, more Braun singing. Yes, actually, it's a really incredible voice. Yeah, that's a great answer. My pick was Beric Dondarrion, just because I feel like Beric Dondarrion and the heavy metal trio or something would be like a, a cool band name. Like, his name, it just sounds like a front man. But I think you're right. Uh, Braun has actually proven on the show that he's got the chops to lead one. So uh, what's the next category? Uh, how about most likely to take over the brothel industry? I mean, Littlefinger's dead. Someone's got to do it. I feel like Podrick Payne has got to be the, the choice here. He's proven... Uh, particularly interested in the subject in uh, an earlier episode what do you think well i think that um i think you're right 
My, my answer was Melisandre because she's got to go somewhere. I mean, her oh, previous yeah. career has clearly failed. Yeah. But Podrick not only understands the art of love, but he's a sweetheart who's going to treat women with respect, pay them more, and generally have a more humane um, world for sex workers. So I think Podrick's the guy. All right. Yeah, I like it. Uh, most likely to win in a sword fight. Uh, this is a, there's a lot of contenders here, but Arya Stark feels like that feels like the winner here, right? It was for me. It was a toss up between Arya, Jon, and Brienne of Tarth, and we don't know how Jon would fare against Arya and Brienne. And interestingly, Brienne and Arya have that sort of sparring session, but it looked like an an end of Rocky Three scenario where they both punch each other at the same time, but it freezes and you don't know who actually wins. So I just I said I gave Brienne the edge because she took down the Hound, and he's proven himself obviously to be like a a pretty formidable force. Um. What do you think? Oh, this is really hard. I just feel like Arya would fight dirty, and and, and Brienne and um, John would not. I feel like she would take advantage of that. I think you're right. I think they would fight with swords, and Arya would fight with a sword and also a dagger or something, and like yeah, take the edge that way. Uh, all right, what's the next one? Most likely to die by freezing to death. I'm gonna say Grey Worm. He seems to be sleeveless a lot, uh, <laughs> so I don't know. I just don't know if he has the wardrobe necessary to survive the North. Uh, my, my answer was more, more sad, which is Samuel Tarly, because if left alone, he would die horribly. But <laughs> yeah. I think Grey Worm's a funnier answer. I don't want to imagine Sam freezing to death, so okay. I'm going to put Grey Worm down. All right, so here's one that I couldn't quite figure out an answer to. Most likely to join the Army of the Dead. And when I created that category, I guess it basically just means who do you think is going to die in the North or or die anywhere and become part of the Night King's Army? Who do you think is most likely to do that? Oh, man, I read that in a totally different way. I read it as who's, who'd willingly join the Night King in his quest to dominate the world oh, of man. Oh, okay, all right. And by reading that, I put Bran Stark, that weird that weird little fucker. <laughs> <laughs> who knows what's up with him these days? Oh, I have no man. idea. And I, I feel like anyone can turn on a dime to decide humanity is beneath me. It's Bran Stark. I like that. I had the mountain because I feel like he's sort of like kind of dead anyway, and maybe he would just like you'd be like, you know what, I'm sick of taking orders from Cersei, but uh, I like the Bran option. He hasn't gotten much love on this list, so let's give it to him. All right, so how about most likely to kill Cersei? I gotta say Arya Stark. She's one of the few people left on her list, and Arya has proven pretty ruthless in, in terms of like going down that list and trying to check off as many names as possible. Do you think she has a chance to do it, or do you think somebody else could do it? Uh, I put Tyrion here only because I feel like he has unfinished business with her and would and it would c- complete his arc as being a man who keeps on murdering his family. Uh, but I'm also think that Tyrion is on this list a few times already, so let's make it Arya. You know, actually mentioning that, I think something about the prophecy uh, doesn't doesn't it imply that one of her brothers is going to one of Cersei's brothers is going to kill her. Well, if this is Game of Thrones, that is a prophecy. Then it's me, Jamie. She's the person she doesn't see coming. Right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's give that one to Arya then. Yeah. Uh, most likely to kill Daenerys Targaryen. Who do you got there? I have Cersei Lannister because she's the one who could do it if someone was going to. Hmm. I have the Night King, uh, just because I feel like that. You know, they're they're setting up for that battle of ice and fire up there, uh, and Cersei is all the way down in King's Landing, unless she, you know jumps on a steed and rides north which seems unlikely at this point but maybe like indirectly she could she could be the one to kill danny Ah, i don't know what do you think hmm 
I think Danny was not going to die. We scrapped his category. Mm, okay. All right. Yeah, I like it. Let's let's call an audible. Right. Scrapping that category. All right. Most likely to. Oh wait. Are you reading this next one? You read it. It's okay. Fine. Most likely to kill the Night King. I have Daenerys Targaryen. I have Jon Snow. Uh, <laughs> I feel like both answers are like <laughs> pretty straightforward. Um, I, I, we could scrap this category as well. It seemed to cancel each other out. Yeah, we need to trim some of this list anyway. It's long. Okay, all right. I like it. All right, so how about this? Most likely to take the black. Who will join the Night's Watch? I feel like Gendry, maybe? He's, like, one of the few people who doesn't really have allegiances anywhere, and I feel like he could actually, like, be a true benefit to the people at at Castle Black or wherever the Night's Watch ends up, uh, you know, forming camp again after all this whole thing, like, doing his smith, his blacksmith stuff. Um, Uh, Who do you have? I hate to use you, Ben, but I have a much better answer, and that's Jorah Mormont. Oh. Uh, he's he's going. To, the war is going to end. John's going to say, "My father kicked you off this land. Why are you back?" He's going to say, "I, I fought." And, and John's going to play his little father's ways and say, "Nope, you still have to atone for your sins." And then Jorah realize, "Well, maybe I should go replace my father at the Night's Watch and, and try to uh, live the legacy he created. That I that I failed, and that's where he'll end up." You really think that Danny would let John? <laughs> kick jorah out he's like her boy but yeah all right we'll we'll give that to him because i i can picture jorah rocking that black and actually becoming like the new benjen stark you know like a ranger out beyond the wall not that there would be anything to range for after this freaking battle is over but uh yeah i like that anyway all right how about uh most likely to return from the dead um so for people who've read the books, there's like one name here that probably is jumping directly to mind. But I think you and I, since we both read the books, maybe shouldn't say that name just so we can sort of avoid that surprise for non-book readers. Maybe people who want to dive in and check out the books. So I'm going to say Bruce Bolton here. Uh, he seems like his body would maybe be far enough north. And he always sort of struck me as like vampiric anyway. So him coming back would be sort of like a... A, uh, I don't know, an undead Roose Bolton strikes me as a, an interesting image. Like, Ramsey has been ripped to shreds. I don't think his body can come back, but maybe his dad. I don't know. What do you think? See, I, I read this question, I read this category in a different way, which was who will die and come back to, die, and come back to life uh, in the future. Mm. And then I put Sandra Clegane, because you can't keep him down. He's already died once and come back. Uh, so the question is, how do we, do we read this as a resurrecting a dead character, or a character most likely to... Um, essentially get that mortal blow and come back again uh let's give it to the mountain because i don't like bruce bolton <laughs> well i'm talking about uh the hound oh Sandor's the hound yeah. uh oh 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 i thought that you meant uh you that you meant, the, i thought you meant literally when he when he came back from the dead but you just meant he came back from from uh the almost dead and like working yeah. with a, <laughs> a a church sect or whatever um, so which game do we give it to I, I think both of them make for good answers yeah god um maybe maybe the hound i like the hound here okay well how about best beard uh i mean for me this is torment giant spain i don't know about you <laughs> there's no one else yeah, there's no one else moving be. on moving on uh the best instagram stories let's pretend instagram exists in westeros <laughs> who would have the best stories oh man varus imagine the things he'd be sharing on his instagram and or not <laughs> sharing or you know he'd be the guy who's always hinting things like guess where i am guess what i'm doing yeah hey he'd be that guy and it'd be the best and the worst i voted for uh jock and hagar here because he would have a different face every time so at least it would be interesting to watch his stories all the time and it wouldn't you wouldn't maybe grow to resent this person for all the crazy shit that they're doing all the time that's the correct answer okay <laughs> uh all right next up most likely to be an obnoxious youtube commenter 
Dion Greyjoy. Gotta get his rage out somehow. <laughs> That's a good answer. I was gonna say uh, the High Sparrow, but of course he's dead. I feel like he would just be constantly posting like holier than thou bullshit on every video. Um, my my real answer was the Hound, just because he's so sad, and I feel like he's he would just be like he would type S U X under every video that, that would be on on youtube i can't imagine him ever being impressed with anything um but yeah i, I like theon Greyjoy. i feel like that's the right answer here all right how about most likely to share a fake news story on facebook uh i went with kyburn because i feel like he's always even if he doesn't fully believe it he's always trying to like rile shit up and like you know cause confusion and uh and just sort of um <laughs> create an, an environment that he could maybe take advantage of and i feel like that's probably the big uh point of sharing face fake news on facebook what do you think i mean i went the opposite direction because i imagine somebody who who would be continuously fooled by fake news posts oh. and share them not knowing that's john snow <laughs> yeah john snow is pretty naive um uh, hmm. but you know what uh john snow has a, a category already and kyburn doesn't so i think maybe kyburn all right all right so cutest couple who do you have here oh sam and gilly i i full disclosure I think Gilly having sex with Sam after he saves her from rape is one of my least favorite tropes in all of fiction. Mm. But once they're settled in to coupledom and they're like sort of living together as his family unit, it's they're so devoted and so adorable. And you, you just know that Sam would actually die to protect her. And she's really into him. And they, they, they feel like a real bickering couple in the right ways. And they're, they're going to last those kids. I have Miss Sandy and Grey Worm. Um, it doesn't have that necessarily like that that same like reward sex equals reward vibe that that Sam and Gilly uh, have, which is not like terrible in the show, but it's like it's a little uneasy. And and I feel like Miss Sandy and Grey Worm are just like fully on the same page. I'm thinking back to that scene where Tyrion is trying to drink and get them to like tell jokes and stuff, and they seem to like. I don't know, they, they seem to be that couple that, like, knows, that slyly smiles at each other and knows something that nobody else knows, and once they get home, they're just, like, completely comfortable with, with each other. I don't know, what do you think? Man, I, you've convinced me. I think the Sandy and Grey Worm, oh, man. I think that Game of Thrones is often gratuitous when it wants to be sexy, and the scene where they're intimate together uh, is actually one of the few moments of Game of Thrones where sex feels genuinely romantic. Yeah, it's great. And it's a really yeah, great moment. I, I, I think that should be there. Uh, best character to get drunk with. Oh, Tyrion Lannister. That's who I have as well. I don't. I feel like maybe we should scrap this because he already has Life of the Party, and it's probably kind of the same thing. Or maybe we scrap Life of the Party and just keep keep this one. What do you think? I think we scrap this one because I think Life of the Party involves being the guy who buys everybody the drinks. Yeah, I think so too. All right, and then the final category. Do you want to read this one? Yeah, person you most want in your corner. I feel like I know where your head is at on this, and the answer is probably Braun of the Blackwater. Sir Braun? Is that who you no, put? No, that's not who I put. Oh. Who'd, you, who'd you put? I'm curious who you put now. That That's actually who I put. I feel like Braun oh. has, has proven himself to be that guy who is always... I mean, he may bitch and bicker with you all the time, but he, he's got your back. Um, I don't know. What do you think? All right, here's why I, I adore I adore Braun. He, he's, he's, my, he's my bad boy. But... Braun needs to be paid to be in your corner. Do you know who devotes his entire life to you, fights for you, argues for you in front of the Iron Bank, would die for you, changes the sides for the right mm. people for you? That's Davos Seaworth. Davos Seaworth. Yeah, that's the right answer. That's the better yeah. one. I like it. All right, so do we? So, so that's all of the categories that we have. Do we want to scrap any of these? Looking back over the people that we've sort of assigned these uh, these particular superlatives. No, I think we scrapped the right ones, and I'm happy with this. Okay. Um, 
Real quickly though, do you want to share your rankings of seasons? Oh yes, from, yes, from worst to, to best. Yeah. So for me, uh, I'll, yeah, from worst to best. Here we go. Season seven, season five, uh, and first of all, season seven. Just because of the pacing issues that we talked about at length last season, we actually wrote a bunch about this. You can find it on slashfilm.com. I encourage people to go back and read that. And like the Beyond the Wall episode just completely like my mind was blown in the in the total wrong way when that happened so yeah season seven season five uh season two season six season three season one and i think the best one is season four you know what? i think we're mostly on the same page here ben uh from worst to best five seven two three six one four. Oh yeah very close just a couple little switches in there uh yeah that's good all right i think we did jacob did we have we done it it's it's an hour and 15 minutes we've been recording uh we've done it close to that Uh, yeah and all remains for those who want to know how sausage is made is offline ben and i will split these up write them up in a post and publish them later this week or by the time you listen to this they should be live but now you know how we got here all right so that's gonna do it for this episode of slash film daily thank you all for listening if you want you can you know rate and review and subscribe and all that stuff on all of the different podcast platforms that you know that's where you can find the show it's published every weekday uh and you can also just go to slashfilm.com and listen to the episodes stream them directly from there as well uh please send your feedback questions comments and concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com if you have any questions any uh particular moments that we may have left out that you feel that we uh, left any uh egregious moments out then yeah shoot us an email and let us know what you think be sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we we mention your email on the air and don't forget to rate and review the show tell your friends about it spread the word any way you can and thanks for listening everybody we'll see you next time